Today, we're going to talk about prayer. Now, prayer, um, we've all done it. In fact, I saw on the, uh, actually, Darlene saw on the news, passed along to us this morning, that the Powerball is like $1.9 billion or something like that. And there was a drawing last night. There was probably more prayer going on in this nation <laughs> last night than uh, we've seen in a long time. So a lot of prayers, a lot of promises made to God, and, and uh, all kinds of things going on last night. So prayer. We've all done it. We've all felt inadequate about it at times. Uh, we've also all prayed and had just these glorious, beautiful, wonderful answers to prayer, haven't we? And we've all prayed and had disappointing failures, it felt like, in prayer. We go, what's up with that? And so we look at prayer, and on the surface, it kind of looks like a, a paradox. It seems like it's riddled with contradictions. It's really not, but, but it can feel like that to us. And so there's a guy named Andrew Murray who's written all kinds of books. He, he's passed away now and gone on to be with the Lord. I think most of his life was lived in the 1700s. Uh, but this guy was a student of prayer, was a teacher of prayer, was a preacher of prayer, was a pastor, was a prolific writer. He wrote over 50 books, many of them on prayer. And one of his famous ones probably with Christ in the School of Prayer. And one of the books, I don't remember which one, he wrote something like this. And um, this won't be word for word, but you'll get the idea. Here's a guy who I think has prayer down. And he said, I am but a child in prayer. I, I, honestly, it was not encouraging to me. It was like, are you kidding me? You know, I must be a single cell amoeba then in prayer, you know, if you're just a child in prayer. And so we have all different, maybe, maybe you're a new believer, you just came to know the Lord uh, last week and you're just beginning this prayer journey, or maybe you're a 50-year seasoned veteran in prayer. But I want to tell you, wherever we're at in prayer, I just want to tell us, let's just go for it. Let's just be people of prayer. And so today I want to talk about pray big. You say, pray big, but I haven't even started praying. That's, that's cool. In fact, you might have noticed this sometimes. Sometimes the less crazy teaching you have in your head about stuff, you seem to be more successful at it. Uh, you, just, you don't have to unravel all the stuff you've learned. And so we want to talk about praying big. Now, I got this idea from a, an awesome resource, the Bible. And then I got this idea from a great resource in the Bible, the number one, Jesus. And so I was reading something about Jesus and the encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria, and I thought about that, and I saw something I'd never really quite seen the same way before. So I want to encourage us to be people of prayer. Now, that journey in Samaria is kind of interesting because Jesus is, is there, they've left Jerusalem, uh, he and his disciples, they're heading up to Galilee. Now, now by the way, the, they're kind of regions, like Judea is a region, Samaria is a region, and Galilee is a region, and they're going to cut through through Samaria, and Jesus is on assignment. I don't know that anybody that he, other than he and the Father knows this, but he's on assignment. And so they get at Jacob's well in Samaria, and uh, he, the disciples say, we, we're going to go get some food. And he says, go ahead, go on in town. I'm going to hang out here. Now, Jesus has broken a lot of rules. Now, I don't see this in Scripture, but I see this when I read and study historical stuff or commentaries or things like that. We do see in Scripture that the Samaritans and the Jews had a great disdain for each other probably more perfectly called hatred. And so the Jews considered themselves pure, and they didn't intermarry, and they, they tried to keep worship pure and all that. And the Samaritans were Jewish people who, when the Babylonian exile happened, they intermarried with pagans and with Gentiles and with idol worshipers and all that. So there's this tension between the, the Jews 
and the Samaritans. The Jews think of themselves as pure, and the Samaritans is kind of a mongrel group of people. And so, now again, you won't see this in the Bible, but historically they'll say that a good Jew would not set his foot on Samaritan soil. Now again, we know there's tremendous tension, but I've read that from many sources. And so, Jesus is breaking not a biblical rule, not a spiritual rule, but he's breaking the social norm of the Jewish people, if that's true, and he's cutting right through Samaria. Now, this is not a real deep thing spiritually. I think that Jesus just probably thought, you know, this five, six, seven hundred year old feud is ridiculous for me to take a four or five day journey around Samaria to get where I'm going. You can look, let's throw a map up there. Uh, the next slide, there's you can see how that Samaria, that little red line is what you would do if you didn't want to set your feet in Samaria. Now, I want you to know this. There were not high-speed trains, aircraft, anything like that. They were, they were walking this thing. And so I think Jesus probably thought, that's, that's ridiculous. Plus, he's on assignment. So he gets up there to Jacob's well, and he has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Now, the Samaritan woman is coming to draw water in the, in the heat of the day, and um, they start having a conversation. He's breaking all kinds of rules again because, first of all, he ought not be seen alone with a woman. He's with a, a Samaritan woman. First of all, it's a lady. That's bad. And it's a Samaritan lady. That's bad. And she's known around the community for being morally loose, so that's bad. And he has a conversation with them. You, you'll find out something about Jesus, though. Uh, he doesn't care about all that stuff. He does not care about all that stuff. He doesn't care. In fact, if you look at it, Christianity doesn't care. Now, let me say this clearly. Have there been Christians who have uh, created a pecking order? Yes, absolutely. Does Christianity teach that? No. In fact, Jesus said this. You know how the Gentiles lorded over each other? They're always who's on top. You know, I got more money, more prestige, more connections, more this, more that, more education, whatever. He said, not so with us, Jesus said. Not so. We're not going to play that game. And so Jesus isn't playing the game. But women have been marginalized for centuries, for centuries. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, they are never marginalized. Ladies are never, each one I'm seeing is a precious gift from God, and there's so much stuff in Scripture about that. Even, um, I think it's Galatians 3.28, Colossians uh, 3.11. If you merge those, they're very similar verses. It says, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, circumcised or uncircumcised. Gentile or Jew, there's neither barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So it's a, it's a beautiful message, and it's, uh, Jesus is the one who delivers that message. And so now, if you were a male when you came to know Jesus, you're still a male. If you were a female when you came to know Jesus, you're still a female. So it's not talking about that, you know, something happened to our our slavery or our freedom or our gender or whatever, but we are Christians. We are identified together in Jesus. Jesus is the source of our identity. So now we can't have this pecking order that we want to have. Now again, has the church had a pecking order like that and marginalized people? Absolutely. Is that the teaching of Christianity? No, it is not. Is that the teaching of Jesus? No, it is not. Jesus is all. We're in him. That's everything. So we come together on a level playing field. It doesn't matter educational levels. I have told you before, I, I will learn from anybody. When the flood hit that time, I told you a story that the, the Bringles had to spend the night with us, and, and the little Bringle boy out in the way was five, four or five years old. 
you know, we're having breakfast the next day because they couldn't get to their home. They spent the night. And so this little Bringle boy says, um, it's a, everything, any pastor loves to hear this. He says, as we're eating breakfast, I don't like church much. I say, okay. But I think I'm going to learn something. So I hone in on it because I think I'm, I'll, I'll learn from a four-year-old. I said, why don't you like church much and what can we do to do it better? He said, we need more fighting. Now, I guess that's a blessing that we're not known for fighting here. I said, well, I can send you to a couple churches. They fight a lot. And uh, no, I didn't say that. I said, what do you mean more fighting? He, watched, he would watch WWF. I don't know what it's called now. So he wanted to do that. He thought that'd be a great Sunday school class. We'd all body slam each other and do things like that. And he said, then we need, we need dirt bikes and ramps. And so... And I suppose it would have drawn a pretty good four and five and six-year-old crowd if we would have had those things. But uh, I'll, I'll learn from anyone. And so there's no pecking order. We're all in this thing together. We're all growing together. And so Jesus is on this journey, and he's breaking all kinds of rules. And now, you may think to yourself, well, I, th- I think we've got a little off track. We're, we're on the topic of praying big, but then somehow we're talking about Samaria and Samaritans and Jews and gender and all this. Well, it's, it's not off track because I want to tell you this. I know the human heart. I have one. And we can say and wonder to ourselves, can I pray big prayers? I mean, can I really pray big prayers? Because I'm from the wrong side of the tracks or I'm the wrong ethnicity, or race, or skin color, or, or I've committed way too many sins. You know, it'd be, it's amazing to think how many people believe, because they've lived really wickedly, that they could come to Christ maybe, but if they did, they would always be a second or third class Christian. Not so. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Oh my goodness, Jesus is so awesome, so awesome. But they say, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm undereducated or overeducated, I've been ungodly, I've been immoral, or I've been a self-righteous, pious, bigoted hater. That could be it too. See, Jesus doesn't care where you've been, what you've done, where you've been from. What he really wants us to be is has-beens. That's what we used to be. You'll find that all throughout the scriptures. He's calling us out of those things. He's not belittling us for those things. He's calling us out of those things. Which, by the way, I really want to make sure I communicate this. There's a, a, always has been a theory that, hey, you just live however you want, do whatever you want, be whatever you want, and Jesus will just take it, and, you know, that's okay. But when you study the scriptures, Jesus is always calling us out of stuff. If, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old is gone, and the new has come. He's not trying to steal anything from you. What he's trying to do is John 10.10, 10, I have come that you might have a life and have it to the fullest measure. So he's calling us. He's also very patient with us because every one of us are on some journey, you know, in our growth process with the Lord. But I do want to tell us, let's be on the journey. Let's be growing. Let's be moving forward. So here's the spot where Jesus talks with the Samaritan lady. But I do want to tell you, wherever you come from, however short your journey has been or however long it has been, whatever your background, Jesus is just saying, let's pray big prayers. Let's trust in the Lord. So here it is. 
John 4, 7 through 15. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her. Here's the verse that got me. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, if you, if you only knew the gift of God, you only knew who you were talking to, if you only knew what I was capable of, you would ask me, and I would give you a drink. And so she says, you know, thinking very naturally, she says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He is. He is. Oh, the Pharisees got mad at him one time because he said, Abraham was excited to see my day. Oh, how dare you say you, you know Abraham. Yeah, he knew Jacob too. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. She's kind of starting to get it a little bit. I think she thinks he may have something here. So she says, sir, uh, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water from this well. I'm sure it was a hassle. I'm sure she didn't like doing it. But Jesus is trying to draw something out of her. And if we read the rest of the passage, we would find out he did, that he did succeed at this. But Jesus is saying, if you only knew who you were talking to, if you only had a hint at what I could do, you'd be asking me for stuff, not me asking you for stuff. And so as she says, give me some of that living water so I don't have to come back here again, this is just my insert into the scripture so you can do with what you want. I, I just could, I could picture Jesus saying, the scripture doesn't say he said this, I could picture him saying, you're starting to get it, but you're thinking too small. Think bigger, think bigger. It's not just physical water, this is spiritual water and eternal water. I think he's saying to us that we need to think big, we need to pray big, we need to ask big. We need to think big, pray big, and ask big. See, I'm talking to me too. I don't think you and I have really grasped, I'm not sure we ever will on this side of eternity, but can we please be making forward progress? <laughs> I don't think we grasp how big God is, how big Jesus is, what he can do, what he's capable of. See, I have prayed, and I know none of you have ever done this, but I have. I have prayed in doubt and unbelief before. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands. But I pray because it's the Christian thing to do. I pray because it's the right thing to do. But when I was saying the prayer, I really didn't believe anything would happen. Now, I, I tell the story that God's even capable. It's not his normal pattern, but God is even capable. I tell the story of my aunt who was diagnosed with cancer. This was many, many, many years ago. It was a dire situation. She came forward for prayer in the church I was raised in. All churches pray for sick people. Nobody ever really expects them to get healed, but we all pray for them. And we prayed for this aunt, and she went back to the doctor, and she was glorious heal gloriously healed. And what I tell you is true. 
no one was more shocked than we were that she actually got healed, that she actually got touched by God. I just heard a testimony. Somebody got prayer for a son that had cancer, and they can't find the trace of cancer in them. So amen. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. amen. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap for that. So I think it's time for me, you all of us, to have some fresh believing and start believing. But here's one caution I have for you. I think this is so important. I don't want to teach on prayer for you to fall into condemnation and discouragement. No. I, Jesus didn't come and teach this so you would be condemned and discouraged. Jesus challenges us so we can grow. I, I want you to know, we are going to grow. We are going to be more powerful in prayer. We're going to grow in prayer and be more powerful in prayer. And we're going to accept the challenges of Jesus, but not see them as condemnation. If we, if we measure everything as condemnation, then my goodness, I don't know anything we will ever do well in the Christian faith because in anything you and I have tried to do, we have failed at it miserably many times. But the, the challenge of Scripture is to get up, dust yourself off, and go on and keep moving forward and keep moving forward and keep moving forward. And any time you start anything for the first time, you're awful at it. You're awful at it. There's, I don't know anybody that they said, you know, hey, we're going to give our little six-year-old piano lessons, and they just went out there and just the, the teacher came back and said, there's nothing I can teach them. They're, they're amazing. No, you start with all the little stuff and twinkle, twinkle, little star, and you move your way through all that. So we're always growing. Now, some of you in this room, and this isn't like, oh, wow, he, he has this deep word from God. I just know statistics. Some of you in this room, have a condemnation complex, is what I call it. You hear everything through the ear of condemnation. You hear everything through the ear of discouragement. You hear everything through the ear that somebody's, you know, getting after you or trying to push you down. You've got to get rid of that. You've got to get rid of that. You say, well, maybe someday I will. I'm going to give you the biblical time to get rid of it. The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, now's a good time to say, I'm not going to hear everything through an ear of condemnation and an ear of discouragement and an ear of, you know, they're trying to put me down. I'm just going to grow. I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. Some of you, if you were volunteering today, now this is probably an extreme example, but maybe not too extreme. Some of you say you were doing some volunteerism today, and I came up to you afterwards and said, hey, I just want to tell you, you did a great job today. At first, you might feel happy about it, but then you might think, he said you did a great job today. So I think what he's saying is I really don't normally do a very good job, but today I finally got it right. And he said, thank you. But I think the thank you is more like this. Thank you for finally getting it right, loser. And all of a sudden, you're, you're condemned. You're beat up. Don't, don't listen to that. Don't listen. Even if correction or instruction comes to you, you know, just accept it and grow by it, grow by it, grow by it. So, we're all growing. We all want to get growing. I believe you're here because you want to grow. I, I, you say, well, I didn't have anything better to do. I don't believe that. If I didn't want to grow, and I didn't love Jesus, I'll tell you where I would be right now. Now, I'd be out of bed by now, but I would be, I would not have gotten up early to you know, to get to church if I didn't love Jesus and love God and want to grow and want to be more of 
what he calls me to be, so we're growing together. And wherever you're at on the journey, it's okay. Let's just keep growing. But I failed miserably. Okay, so we all have. Let's just keep growing. Let's keep growing. I want to look at some great big teachings of Jesus where Jesus is saying, let's, let's go big, and we'll connect this to prayer. But when we fall down, let's just have that, I'm going to get back up spirit. I'm going to get back up. Just this week, I was thinking about this. And so I said, Lord, I'm going to pray this big prayer. So I prayed a big prayer. And um, the way I wanted it to work out didn't happen. And I went, man, you know, but guess what? I'm going to keep praying big prayers. I'm going to keep moving forward. And I hope you are too. But look at these things. Look at the way Jesus thinks. Mark 16, 15. And then Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel to everyone. Think about this. There may be a few hundred people. Let's say there's a couple thousand people there in one little spot on planet Earth. And he says to them, here's my assignment for you. Go into all the world and take this gospel, this good news, to everyone on planet Earth. And you know what they said? Let's do it. They did not have transportation like we had. They did not have the internet. They did not have a global television system. They didn't have satellites. They didn't have mass transportation. They didn't have any speed to get in. It was all like shoe leather, and they, there wasn't even a printing press. They had, you know, some feathers and some ink and some papyrus to write on or something, and that was, that was like it. And they said, hey, you know what? Sounds like a good idea to us. Let's go to the whole world. And that little group of people changed the whole world. Changed the whole world. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's a city in the region of Judea. You will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea. And man, Jesus cannot get rid of this, can he? And in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking. I always laugh at that because I always feel like Jesus doesn't need to start out a statement with I tell you the truth. I kind of figure that is true. But he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, anyone, see, no pecking order, right? Anyone. Male, female, prisoner, bond, free, barbarian, Scythian. We're saying, what are they? They're hopefully not us. Barbarian, Scythian, they just sound awful, don't they? Barbarian, Scythian, it doesn't matter. Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. And if you read all that, it's about the empowering of the Holy Spirit to enable us to, to witness and share and, and do everything God's called us to do. So some big talks and big assignments. And so we wonder, should we really do these things? I mean, does God really expect us to do these things? Yeah, I believe he does. Here's what another pastor thinks of this. We've got a little video I want to show you. Larry Shelp gave this to me several months or a year ago. Uh, this guy's gone on to be with the Lord. This is probably circa 1970s or so. But let's see what he has to say about this. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, mm, you know, <laughs> and it died. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know. I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I liked all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. 
I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? Now, this is how stupid I was. I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, and cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic. Isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it. We sang about it. We preached about it. We prayed over it. We gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. <laughs> Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I remember being at Franklin College and I would share my faith and let my light shine. I, I don't think I was overbearing. I just build relationships with people and share. And I remember one of the one of the spiritual leaders came by and and asked me to step out in the hallway because he'd seen me share my faith and loving on people. Uh, the gospel, true story. Uh, spiritual leader because there's different church leaders that would come through and minister to any of the kids. And so he asked me to come out in the hallway. And so I stepped out there and he said, he said, I, I used to be like you, wanting to save the world. He said, you'll grow out of it. What a heartbreaking thing to be told. And I, I said right there, I pray to God I will never grow out of that. Never grow out of that. No wonder sometimes the church, by the way, we have lots of wonderful people, but it's one of those that would just discourage someone to say, just float downstream. No, let's go for it. Let's do the stuff. Let's do the stuff. I believe Jesus wants us to do the stuff. I also don't believe, this is just me, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, please. I just don't think this is the best way. I don't think he wants us to all get in the bus after church and grab our Bibles and tracts and go out to the mall and, you know, jump upon people unaware with the gospel. And trust me, I bet there's been hundreds of thousands of people led to the Lord like that, so I'm not picking on that. I just think the best way is 
that we just go be salt and light everywhere we're at, wherever we are. I think I've told you the story before. There's somebody that came to a pastor, true story, and said, hey, I want to be on your mall evangelism team. And he said, what? He said, I want to be on your mall evangelism team. And he said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, oh, yeah. I said, I got several friends that work at the mall, and some people from the church here have led them to Jesus and other people, and so I just would like to be part of the mall evangelism team. And the pastor said, we don't have a mall evangelism team. We have church members who love to shop. And so they just go out there, and they let the light of Jesus. They just go out and do the stuff. So if they get an opportunity to pray for someone or encourage someone or to let the light of Christ shine, they just do it. It's more organic, more natural, less frightening. We're just kind of going out there and living it. And when you look through the New Testament, that's the model you see. That's the model you see. They're just, go live such good lives among the unbelievers that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to go live this at work, at school, at play. We're supposed to go do this stuff. Somebody needs prayed for, pray for them. Somebody needs a word of encouragement, give them a word of encouragement. I've never found anyone who was desperate that minded getting prayer. So I encourage you to pray. You say, how, how, do we, how do we get this? One of my suggestions, very serious about this, it may seem like an overwhelming task, it's really not, is that we begin to read the New Testament. The first four books of those Christian scriptures, the New Testament, are what we call Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can read those, and you can follow Jesus around. And you can get a whole theology, uh, meaning a, a study of God and how God works and, and the doctrines, the way things happen in Christianity by following Jesus around. You'll find out what brought Jesus joy, what brought him anger, what brought him to tears? What was he capable of doing? What was he not capable of doing? And often at times was unwilling to do, such as lie or deceive or cheat or whatever. What did he teach? You start following Jesus around, and you get this whole training in Christianity by following. Who, who's better to get training from in Christianity than the Christ? And so we start following him around and go, wow. And sometimes you'll see, hmm, I was taught something different than how Jesus behaves. How does Jesus do life? Not the God we make up in our own minds, but the God that gets revealed in the scriptures here. Voltaire, a French philosopher of the 1700s, was quoted as saying, if God made us in his image, we have returned him the favor. I said, isn't that true? You say, what was he saying? He was saying, we want to create a God that we like. We want to make God fit us and what we like and what we believe, and we want to reconstruct him and that gets done on every level. It happens uh, in, in the world all the time. I have friends that don't love Jesus, and they live kind of crazy lifestyles. But they've, they've fallen in love with the vision of Jesus that they have. Like, they'll say things like, hey, you know, uh, Jesus would never judge someone or correct them. Jesus was always loving. I said, have you read the Bible? Was his correction loving? Absolutely. Was it to bring life to people? Absolutely. He's not a condemner. John 3, 16 and 17 tells us that, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. But he will instruct and he will teach and he will guide and he will say, that's wrong and this is right. He said to the woman caught in adultery, he said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He was giving, them a, giving her a way to do life that was the best way to do life. And so as we follow him around, in the New Testament, we get a real understanding of Jesus and how he works and how he does things. 
And then we understand what he meant when he said, the things I have done you will be doing, and even greater things than these because I go to the Father, which, again, the whole passage is about the Holy Spirit helping us. The God of the Bible, Jesus is this great big God with great big abilities, and he challenges us to go big in prayer. You say, I think that's going to stretch me. I hope it does. Stretches me. I hope it stretches you. What if I fail? What if you do? How about this, though? What if you don't? What if I pray for somebody and it actually works? Hey, let's go for it. That guy right there, John Wimber, I remember reading something about him many years ago, and I didn't follow his life much, but, but he saw in the scripture that Jesus was a healer, so he began praying for people who were sick. And this probably, if, you, if you're a scholar of him or followed him, you'll know this was imperfect, but something like this. He kind of kept track of that. He said, I think he prayed for like two, three, four hundred people for their sicknesses. He said, as far as I know, none of them got anything. But he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying. He kept believing and trusting God. He kept getting up and dusting himself off. Now, oftentimes, we never know what really happens. But he started seeing results of people getting touched physically in prayer. Let's start doing that. Let's start growing in our faith today and in our prayer. And I want to quote to you one of my favorite verses, I quote, or one of my favorite quotes. I quote it often, and I probably will many, many more times. I'll probably, you'll probably quote it to me when you see it come up on the thing. Say, he says that all the time. But it's so awesome. John Newton, the, the one who wrote Amazing Grace, the one I think was the captain of a slave trading vessel, he wrote these words as he came to know Jesus as a Savior. And the first time I read this, it encouraged me to pray differently. And anytime I want to pray small, I remember the words of Jesus, I remember what the Scripture teaches, and this quote always comes to my mind. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions. Now, I want to pause there for a second because in our culture, we think a petition is, sign this paper here because I'm protesting something. A petition is a request. So thou art coming to a king. Large requests with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. When you're before the author of life, don't ask for a drink of water from a whale. Think bigger. Pray bigger. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much.